Welcome back to part two of the Forgotten Outdoors podcast with Joe Andreessen. So if you're stumbling upon this, go listen to part one because we'll be referencing <laughs> it. But we talked a lot about birding and um, Thomas and I have a lot more questions because we didn't realize that there was so much into it. <laughs> where we kind of yeah. left off, I guess, is where we can kind of start back into it. Where Joe, he was saying, it's like, oh yeah, what was the what was the owl's name again? Oh, the flammulated owl. Yeah, he's like, yeah, like I like to listen to, I I like to locate it by like calling, calling it. In. Yeah. So let's start there. <laughs> <laughs> How does that work? Let's all say it together. Calling, no, calling, calling. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it's one of those things. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of have to be careful with calling in birds, and it, it's pretty self-explanatory. You just Sometimes you can do it with your voice if you're good enough. I'm most birds I can't call them in with my voice or whistle or anything like that. But um, if you bring like a speaker out and you get on your app with all of the bird calls on it, you can play it. And sometimes the bird will come in. Um, it's it almost forces you to be like a better naturalist because um, sometimes the, sometimes of the year certain calls won't work. Hmm. Sometimes of the year they will. Um, so you just kind of need to know like what the bird's goal is and what that call socially incites in the bird's mind. And like, like if it's a territory call, like, Hey, get out of my territory. You don't want to do that. Right. If you, if your goal is to call the bird in, um, and with owls, it's especially like, it's almost a little bit of like a controversial topic, um, among birders because owls can are notoriously, um, flighty when it comes to like, scaring them off of a nest or hmm. something like that. So like if they have chicks, you usually don't want to try calling them in cause it'll freak them out. And like, they're like, Oh, I thought I chose a spot where there weren't any other owls that were going to bother me. And, oh. and so they, sometimes they'll abandon a nest and then the eggs die or something like that. So that's, that's not good. You usually need to kind of know what you're doing if you're going to call in some owls. Um, and I usually only do it like right at the beginning of spring when all the owls are, especially the migrating owls, are just starting to get on territory, starting to do their calls. Because hmm. then they'll come in and, and investigate and they'll be like, oh, who else is here? Do I need to fight them? Do I need to leave because they're bigger than me? Um, so they'll come in and check it out. And uh, sometimes if you do like a female call, um, sometimes they're more distinctive. Like a male will have a certain call and a female will have a different one. And so the females you can like play that call and then a male will come in or uh, vice versa. And um, so that, that tends to work pretty good with the flammulated owls. Um, that's really the only way that I can find them is I'll get up in the spring, right when the snow's starting to melt, like right when the, like the pines and the aspens start mixing, that's a really good elevation. Hmm. Yeah. Um, right when the aspens start growing, that's a really, really good elevation for them. And then you just go, there's like a one month window where it's like okay to call them in and then you call them in and it's usually a pretty good experience if you go to the right places. Um, a really good one is like American Fork Canyon. Um, AF and that's Canyon. in Utah? Yeah, it's in Utah County, just north of Provo. Um, that's a really good spot. And uh, some of the canyons in Salt Lake are really good spots for them. You just got to get to a certain elevation play the call. Sometimes you got to sit there for like a half hour. Like I've sat an hour and not heard anything. Mm -hmm. Cool thing is there's a lot of birds that are making noise at night during that time. So like sometimes when I'm looking for flammulated owls, I'll get Northern sawwet owls and ruffed grouse. will do their like drumming. Yeah. Beat. Dum, 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 oh, 
It's like somebody's like trying to start up an old diesel engine or something. That's, that's like ran that's one of the coolest bird sounds. You feel it like in your chest. Yeah, you don't even do like that. hear it almost. It's it's like you're hearing it with your like throat, like in your chest, kind of. Mm-hmm. It's just like oh oh oh. So um, cool. Yeah, that, that's a cool one. But so so I guess those. I guess my question then is: Are you t- like what's the most popular type of call that you're using? Like in the hunting com- in the hunting community, it's like pretty much you're just doing. I don't know what's most. I would say the most popular is like basically mating calls, but I mean, kind but of. But you can do like you can do little cow calls and you can do yeah. little chirps and stuff like that. But I feel like you know the most common time to use calls is basically during mating season, whether or not yeah. you make especially mating for calls. like elk and like yeah. big game animals. You know, like that's when you're gonna get your best shots. Is like for elk, for right. instance, and and we're making this parallel, kind of going in the rabbit hole because. Yeah. Like, we call a lot in hunting. Yeah. You know, and so, like, when you're hunting big game, elk, per se, it's like, we're archery hunting in September, the elk are going into rut, you know, like, the bulls are looking for cows, you know, the cows are making certain cow noises of when they're in estrus, you know, when they're ready to breed, and that gets the bulls riled up, and so you can take different approaches there, or you're you're trying to mimic a cow elk that's in estrus, so the bulls want to come and, you know... Do their thing. <laughs> Pass on the seed. <laughs> or 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 you want to act like a bull that, you know, has cows and there's another bull that wants to come and fight you. Or you want right. to act like a weaker bull that might have some cows. And so the dominant bull is going to be like, yeah, I'm going to steal his cows. You know, so like, but yeah, it's it's kind of focused around that breeding time. And same yeah, with so like. Maybe, so maybe that's the better question then. Is like time of year, is it usually around like a breeding? Or is it like more of a, oh, it's a nesting phase. So we're going to do territory. Like what's the most popular yeah, that's a good question or season of calling for birds? It's The birds are usually most likely to respond to audio if it's like, if it's mating season. Mm-hmm. Um, so so tra- it translates. Yeah, yeah, what you're explaining is very similar. Like sometimes you want to do a male call so that the males will come in and, and check it out. Sometimes you want to do a female call. So, yeah. um, so like great horned owls, I can get, a male great horn now to come in almost every time I play a female call. Huh. They have this weird, like, it almost sounds like a cat, like meowing really aggressively, <laughs> like huh. uh, that this, that the female, um, great horned owls make. And, and I can get a male to come in if I'm in a good habitat. Um, almost that's cool. every time. So uh, that's kind of, uh, a parallel that I think is really, really coincides with hunting. Um, outside of the breeding season, it, there's only certain species that, that respond to um, to calls and, and, and audio, mostly like chickadees, jays, um, some hawks. Um, so, I mean, you just saying hawks for some reason. I'm thinking about this now. So, like, um, also we use like distress calls for predatory hunting. So, for a predatory bird, can that be something that you use as well, or not so much? In theory, yes. In practice, I haven't noticed that working mm. very well. There are signs, though, that you can use. So, like, if, if I'm looking for, if I'm seeing a bunch of really small birds that I know are prey for, like, a specific type of hawk, like a sharp-shinned hawk, and then all of a sudden I notice these birds that are all being really loud get really quiet and start hiding away, I know to look up and see if I can find an, mm. a hawk. So so there's, like, cues that you can use from, like, that predator-prey relationship 
usually the calling doesn't really bring in the predators though. Gotcha. Because I think it's just because they're less prevalent. Like it's it would just be way harder, and they're pretty choosy. Um, they're also, I mean, a bear, for example, is very dependent on like its hearing and its smell, whereas hawks are sight they just use their sight and so if you start yeah. making a call they'll look at you from like three miles away before you can see <laughs> yeah. them and they're like oh it's a human again uh, he's got his binoculars <laughs> out it's a murder <laughs> this idiot Freaking not going here. in there so so yeah i mean they, they just they like to use their sight a little bit more so it's harder mm-hmm. to most most predatory birds it's like they happen to be seen when they want to be seen like yeah it's hard to go out looking for predatory birds unless they're just like already around that brings up a question in my mind so birds are more, you know, sight for sure. And like hunting, sight kind of takes a back burner on a lot of big game animals. Oh, yeah. Like du- they're, ducks they're, are different. Ducks are different ears. and turkeys are different. You know, it's, it's a lot of sight for those guys. But it's smell, you know, it's sound for those guys. Um, so my question then is, do birders ever get into like camouflage type of stuff so oh. that like they're not seen mm-hmm. by those birds? Because... I mean, we do it in hunting, you know, so that, like, we're not seen by the animal, but really, like, scent and, and sound are bigger factors for them. So, do guys get crazy in, like, ghillie suits and stuff? Yes. <laughs> Short answer is yes. Long answer is, um, I mean, the, there are... The question mo- is, do you? I, <laughs> yeah, I know that's what everybody's really wondering. <laughs> I, um, I don't, but I'm not against the idea. I just yeah. haven't ever been like, you know what I really need? camo <laughs> i've paint, never paint my face <laughs> become the tree yeah become but the bird <laughs> i know birders that are that way a lot of them are wildlife photographers that are birders like mm. um i knew a guy down in utah the uh, bear river migratory bird refuge he made his own ghillie suit um to match the the grass or the the marshland that's out there mm. and and he would like go out at like midnight and just like camp out until sunrise and his big thing was he really wanted to get a picture of a yellow-headed blackbird but he wanted to see the the like smoke coming from its mouth as it sang like the yeah like the puff of steam from its mouth (laughs) as it sang in the morning and and so he would have to like be completely still from the very first light and so he would go he'd use the ghillie suit but i know other people that use camouflage most of the time birding is a little bit more of a casual experience um and so we don't wear it but like a lot of people will avoid wearing like the big sun hats Mm. because like you turn your head and that's a big motion yeah so we try to stick to like baseball caps um kind of more neutral colors birds are really sensitive to like blue colors um, so if you wear like a bright blue shirt, that's usually not a great idea, but you're still going to see some birds if you wear a bright blue shirt. Like right. you just might not see that one that's really elusive. Right. You know what I mean? I feel like probably in general, most of those birds aren't feeling the pressure like a lot of the big game or stuff that we hunt do, yeah. especially yeah. during the time of year. And the species of birds that are under pressure, those are the ones that you really want to start wearing camo for. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So, but yeah. you know, most birds, most birding trips, you don't need it. So. Got you. So, so my question is, what is, what bird were you most excited to to find? Like, what's like one that cur- I've already found? Yeah, your current like, this one is elusive. That was one of my last questions on the one that I never asked. Yeah. Oh man. Oh sorry. 
Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> I thought of it too. What's, what's the the rarest bird that you've already seen, or like a your favorite? Yeah, your favorite. Maybe both. Like, what's the rarest, and then what's your favorite? Yeah, I. <clears throat> there's a lot of things that go into making a good bird a good bird. Um, sometimes it, it's like the experience surrounding this, the seeing of the bird. Sometimes it doesn't even have to be that rare to have a really cool experience with the bird. One that I think of. This is a little bit of a story. Are you ready? Let's, yeah. Let's so saddle up. Okay, here we go. There is a bird that is native to the Himalayan mountains uh, called the Himalayan snowcock. It kind of looks like a pheasant, uh, except a little bit bigger. Um, and they, some guy, some eccentric rich person in the 70s decided he wanted to transplant a population of Himalayan snowcocks to North America and the place that he decided to put them was the Ruby Mountains in northeastern Nevada. Um, for hunting purposes, he wanted, to sh- he wanted to shoot them and he wanted to have a population that he could hunt. And these were really high. For anybody that's been to Elko, Nevada, those are the giant snow-capped mountains that you see from Elko, um, are the Ruby Mountains. And they are spectacular. So me and my brother-in-law, we thought... Let's let's try this out. Let's try to find a Himalayan snowcock in the Ruby Mountains, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like a, a one of those birds that birders talk to each other about with like a level of reverence, because it's like a <laughs> trip. Like you you can't just happen upon a Himalayan snowcock. Yeah. Um, you and so you have to like plan a trip to this very specific kind of small mountain range that's really high elevation, really hard to get into, and so. We're, we planned three days of backpacking to try and find this Himalayan snowcock, and we got like 30-pound packs, and we're hiking up in these mountains, and they're they're just different than the mountains that you're used to seeing in the Rockies. Like it's just really steep cliffs that just go on forever in these mountains. It's really cool, and uh, we looked for day one. We I think we got there around lunchtime, and we did like two summits. The first day, couldn't find them. And another thing about these Himalayan snowcocks is they, they, they're from the Himalayas, and so they need a certain elevation to survive. It just so happens that that elevation is only, like, at the very, very peaks of these mountains at the, <laughs> on the Rubies. In the Himalayas, they're, they're a lot higher, and so they can stay at lower elevations up there. Well, they're the same elevation, really, but it, they're, yeah. they're not, like, at the tips lower of the mountains. The mountain. Yeah, and, but in the Rubies, they have to stay way, way up there. Um, and so, but since they're so... Cliffy is that a word? Sure, so many cliffs. It is now. It's hard to <laughs> You're get gonna up learn and find today. them. <laughs> <Yeah>. Cliffy <laughs> mountains. Um, it's hard to like get right up next to one of these birds because it's just hard to summit these mountains. So we did a couple passes that first day. Didn't see anything. Saw a lot of cougar sign. Um, and second day, we spent the whole day looking. We're like all over these mountains. I think we did like thirteen miles the second day. And it was like, I don't know, something like 10,000 feet of elevation difference, like gain and loss throughout the day. Um, And we had one last spot we wanted to try. So we went there in the evening and camped there. It was a little lake. um, And the mountains kind of made like this amphitheater. It was super cool. And my brother-in-law was like panicking that we weren't going to see this bird. And so he woke up at like 3 in the morning and was just out just like listening for him. 
and and I was sleeping and then all of a sudden at like five in the morning he's like shaking me awake and he's like I found him I heard him I heard him and there, it's like dark outside and I was just like okay so I get up and I'm like wearing these like long johns and like sandals and I have terrible eyesight so I have these like big gross glasses on and I have time to get my contacts in and and I just have my you know my glasses my long johns and my sandals and we're like hiking up a mountain at five in the morning and and we're just like freaking out because we think we're not going to see this bird that we like planned this whole trip around and we get way up there and the sun's rising and it was just like this amazing beautiful experience because it's like great weather sun's rising you can see him on these mountains and we're just sitting there super quiet for like an hour listening for this uh bird and then we hear like one little thing like way up in the top this little and we're like was that it (laughs) i think that was it and so and we hear it one more time, and my brother-in-law is just like, he's like, yes, that's it, we saw it. And, and it was pretty distinctive. Like, we, we could have counted it right there, but we wanted to get a look at it. So we stayed, like, another hour, didn't get a good look. And then we come down, we're, like, hiking down this mountain, and we run into these people. And I'm in my long johns and my sandals, and, my, you know, I'm just, like, looking like a, like a lunatic <laughs> coming down from this mountain. And there's, like, a group of, like, 20 birders with, like, their spotting scopes all set up and they're like, did you see him? <laughs> and I'm like, no, we heard him though. And, uh, and they're like, you want to look through our, we got like six of them in the scope. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> these guys probably woke up in Elko that morning and like had some guided tour, some guy that they're like paying money to show them exactly where they're at. <laughs> it's keeping tabs on them and stuff. And so we look through them and we're like, Oh yeah, there they are. And, uh, it was pretty cool. But that was like, as far as like, chases go that was like one of the best experiences and the himalayan snowcock is like i've seen prettier birds in the himalayan snowcock but like as far as like rewarding experiences that was awesome and like you guys probably know this from hunting but it's sometimes if you like see it too quick it like cheapens the experience (laughs) oh yeah we talk about that all the time it'd be too easy like if we saw one right now it'd just be too easy it's like maybe i shouldn't even pull the trigger (laughs) yeah (laughs) we've done that i haven't had the experience yet you know and so that that's kind of how that that trip was. It was it was really rewarding, but it was super tough. Like we were dead afterwards. I didn't know if I could make it to that last spot where yeah. we were gonna look because it was just like I've had this thirty pound. Like my arms are gonna fall off because mm-hmm. my pack has been. So that was pretty cool. But I mean, yeah, I have a couple different cool bird stories that you know someday we could talk about. But um, and I mean, just looking at my list. Like two hundred and something. What did I say? Two hundred seventy something. Yeah. Birds. Um, like I can tell you exactly where I saw every single one of those. Hmm. Um, because the experience is so. Like I don't think there's anything that can tie you to a place more closely than like a wildlife sighting. Mm-hmm. You know, like you guys probably remember like the first time you saw like an elk or well, a deer. <laughs> like I mean, you just can't forget it, and you can like yeah. draw back the smells. Yep. Oh, yeah, and the sights and how the air felt and like who you're with like well and it's hilarious like so my family we do a, a deer hunt hunting trip every year so we've gone for for a lot of years my dad went when he was a kid and so like now he's got 20 30 years of hunting in the same spot yeah. and so every year it doesn't matter how many times we go every year we're driving He's like, oh, this is where so-and-so shot this deer. And, mm-hmm. oh, this is yeah. where so-and-so shot this deer. And then, and you know, now I've gone enough times to where I've shot enough deer where I'm like, yep, this is this is my very first deer I ever shot was right here. 
this was my biggest deer I've ever shot. It was right here. So yeah, I mean that's 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 pretty cool though. Like two hundred and seventy something is crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, and and that's why it's kind of fun, you know. Like we we have you know our our trophies and our yeah. antlers and hides and things and and a pile of antlers that you can't see in the camera there <laughs> and and things like that just. As, but those attaches to the memory. Yeah, like every time I look at that buck, I know exactly what was going through my mind during that whole experience. You know, yeah. like I could draw back on that experience and remember my thought process, remember yeah. the steps that that deer took and how he was looking at me through this big old brush, you know, and I could just see his face and he was looking at me and I was at full draw with my bow and starting to get all shaky <laughs> because it was like two minutes of this stare down with this buck and I'm like, I'm moving, he's gone, you know. It's like I, I remember that, like every time I see that. Yeah. And so just those experiences, I mean, that's what that's what keeps us going out there, really. Yeah. You know, it's like we have, for us, I'm kind of relating it back to hunting, it's like, Yes, we like to go out and fill the freezer with meat. That's a big thing for us. But those experiences, you know, yeah. of, of going out there and interacting with the, the wildlife. And, you know, you, you, you were painting this whole story, and I'm glad that you did, of, like, we were going up there, and you were talking about what you were wearing and how the sun was coming up and, like, the, the weather, the amphitheater. It's, like, all those elements make this incredible experience that you can draw back on. Yeah. And that's what keeps you going out because you want more experiences like that. Yeah. Well, and, and I don't know, I imagine it's similar with, with birding, but like for us, we're big on firsts. Like, yeah, like Ben always makes a joke about my bear because it, he always says it's tiny, but, um, <laughs> it's not a lie, <laughs> but the you know, beaver. almost the same size as that coyote. Yeah. yeah let's, beaver hey, pelt over there. Not, <laughs> that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is so like, it was the first bear. So it was like, I got, I have to, I have to commemorate this. And so I think it's cool that like for for you with birding like you have a book of of every bird and in my mind I'm like man I should have done something like this like mm-hmm. even every animal like just to put a date next to it and you know write what kind it was like that's cool I think that's a cool thing to kind of incorporate maybe into the hunting world mm-hmm. into the fishing world like I had a I had a an old coworker and he sent me a picture and he's like first time catching this type of a fish on a fly rod yeah and i was like that's dope and it was like a i think it was a smallmouth bass yeah mm-hmm. and he just never caught one on a fly rod yeah and so he was like but he's been fishing forever he's probably caught smallmouth bass with like a regular rod but just not with a fly fly fishing rod and so I'm like that's that's just cool so yeah. i think that's sweet yeah first so, i think one of the best thing you can do if you're if you're thinking like listening and thinking hey i want to get into birding this is something that sounds kind of cool. Just like write down, get get the app or get a book where that has like actual scientific, up to date scientific names of all these birds, and just like the up to date common names, and just start writing down all the ones that you think you've seen. Just go through the book, species by species, and be like, oh yeah, I've seen a robin before. That's pretty easy, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I've seen a house finch. Those are in the Walmart parking lot. <laughs> right? Or yeah, house finch, house sparrow. Both of those are in Walmart parking lots. So I'll just write those down. Magpie. Everybody's seen a magpie. So like. I remember when I first did that, I was like 18 and I had like 35 species. And I was like, that's pretty dang good. You know, that's like just, just, just getting into it. Ones that I, yeah, I like wasn't even actively searching for birds. And that, that, that was how many I wrote down probably because I just lived in a good place for birds. But, um, like anybody can, you know, get in the teens in the twenties, you know, for birds that, you know, you didn't even know you'd seen. And then once you get out looking, that's just, I mean, I love taking people out that are just getting into birding. And if anybody wants to, I mean, 
hit me up. <laughs> like, yeah. let's go birding. Yeah, this is, this is your opportunity for a plug. So if you've got, yeah. like, a social like, media handle, this is your chance. Yeah, I, well, I don't know if I should announce it, but I'm thinking about doing a birding podcast. Yes. <clears throat> if this goes well... <laughs> If it's I'm going okay very at well. it. Yes. I mean, Thomas tried to derail us back there, but we got back on track. <laughs> Just because I wanted to talk about my cool bear. Yeah. No one likes or appreciates. <laughs> so You appreciate it. That's what matters. Yeah, <laughs> hey, there you go. As long as you're happy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I already have a Twitter for it. It's called The Birder Dad. Um, part of me is kind of taking, like, The Birder Dad focus just because it's, like, um, I'm a – dad now and mm-hmm. my birding has changed and a little bit and uh you know there's lots of people that are like me that kind of balance birding with like their regular life and there are a lot of people that don't and just go crazy about birding um but there are a lot of people with really cool stories that i think they should be told on a podcast so yeah. that's kind of what i'm doing so if you want to look up uh, birder dad podcast um that's where I'm going uh, for now. And um, I don't really like post pictures I take. I'm kind of like a birding purist. I don't love taking pictures for mm-hmm. identification. or Like, I'm not like a photographer. I, I just like seeing the birds and identifying them and, uh, you know, creating memories. So, um, but if you want to, I mean, hit these guys up. They'll connect you with me. I can, yeah. I'll take yeah. birding. For um, sure. And, yeah, yeah, if you want to get some new birds or see a bird that you didn't even know existed that's been in your backyard, like, I'll take you out. Yeah. And when you launch your podcast, we will definitely promote that. Yeah. <laughs> we will let oh, all sure. of our listeners know. Yeah, we'll do a little back and forth there. there. That'll be good. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. You should do it. You should do it. Thanks. Do because it. it's, do the it's, podcast. Such a, it's such a cool world. And I think that, uh, like with we were saying in the very beginning, you know, about getting outside and building confidence in the outdoors, that can mean anything to anybody. And some people, hunting might not be for you. No. I mean, it might not be for you. It, it's... It comes with its own challenges. It comes with its own rewards. But not everybody's a hunter, you no. know. Like not everybody that that's appealing, and that's totally fine. But if you are drawn to the outdoors, there's so many different things. And just this conversation, birding is kind of hunting for birds without killing them. It, yeah, it, it really is. Its like, origins were in killing them. I mean, John James Audubon, he's like one of the famous people that like started identifying all of North America's birds. He just shot him and then identified the dead body. <laughs> and, and like the big year competition started out as like, let's see how many different species of bird we can shoot. Mm-hmm. And then people were like, oh, passenger pigeons are going extinct. We probably, and then they ended up going extinct, which is really sad. But like, they were like, eh, we should probably just start counting them. Yeah. And just do the science part, you know, and the ones right. that taste good, we'll keep shooting them every once in a while. But, yeah. you know, nobody wants to eat a warbler it's like <laughs> like two ounces pop it in your mouth yeah. you're all done feathers so, and all yeah so so people stopped shooting them and, and just started counting them and that's kind of where it where it came from so it's kind of fun all right well on a send out i just want to ask a one final question and that's ben has more questions but um where is one place you want to go to Ooh. bird like what if you oh. you get one choice anywhere, anywhere in, in the, the world, world? Money's like, not an issue? Yeah, money's not an issue. Because the only reason I asked this is because I have a daughter, and we just watched Rio. Um, oh, yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, Rio has all these crazy colorful b- birds, at least according to the cartoon. Yeah. But, so I'm curious, as That's a birder, accurate, what's, the, what's the one place? The, so, like, the Mecca in the whole world is probably, like, the northern half of Colombia. Um, it's, like, right next to Venezuela. It's kind of, like, just the northern 
tip of South America. That's that's where Colombia is, and uh, it has the highest diversity of bird species on the planet as a country. It, it's number one on, on bird diversity, and uh, it's like like if you go to Colombia as a birder, it's like the 1800s in Africa. Like it's just like you think of like these explorers that were like on the cutting edge, like discovering new mm-hmm. stuff. That's Colombia right now. Like new species pop up every, you know, like three or four a decade. Um, plus it's just like, you can add like 900 birds to your list in like three days. That's crazy. Like, and my whole life I've seen like not even 300, you know? So like, if you want to just ramp your list up and see a dizzying number of birds, just go to Colombia. And there's like a trail that they've mapped out. It would take you days and days to do the whole thing. But, um, the, the main difference is the reason that it's got such high bird diversity is the diversity of habitats. So like Colombia has an Atlantic coast, it has a Caribbean coast and it has a Pacific coast just because of where it's at. Yeah. It's got all these different coasts, all these different mountains. It has the highest coastal mountain range in the world. Um, coastal being the key word. It's not the Himalayas, but it's hugely steep mountains and you can go up like, every couple hundred feet has like a new ecology where there's new different birds. So, I mean, just the whole, you can talk about it forever, but it's, that's just where I, you know, that's the place in, in the U S uh, Southeast Arizona, surprisingly hmm. is like the place to be. There's like a little range of mountains and from Mexico that juts up into the Southeast section of, uh, of Arizona. And those mountains have their own like diversity of birds that you can't see anywhere else in the United States. Hmm. So, if you go there, you can get, like, normally in the West, we have really good hummingbird diversity. So we get, like, I think it's, like, four species of hummingbird here. In the East, they get one. But in Southeast Arizona, you can get, like, 15 hmm. oh, that's different crazy. hummingbird species, like, at any given feeder. Um, and there's, like, these crazy birds called elegant trogons that come up from the rainforest in, in the heat of summer. Like, it gets too hot down there, so they come up to Arizona, where it's only, like, 115 degrees. <laughs> only? Instead of like whatever they're dealing with down in Central America. And and you, that's like a huge rarity to, to find one of those in the U.S. So those are cool. You know, there's all kinds of sparrows that you can only see in Southeast Arizona. So that's kind of like the U.S. place. You can go and stay in like a motel, like a bed and breakfast place that's like specifically made for birders. And it'll have like, <laughs> it'll have like hummingbird feeders outside and like other bird feeders outside. And they have like a list of all the birds that they've seen that month in the, so cool. from the bed and breakfast that you can like go. it's like a it's like a home base for birders so there's just like a huge community down there and there's some great places all over so well awesome Anyways. i have one final question okay but okay. before we get into that i am definitely going to get the app yes and while we're out on our hunts i'm going to start a book i'm going to start making my cool. list do it man i'm i'm pumped about i want to hear about exciting. the lifers oh by the way that's what it's called when you get a new life bird a lifer so, you know, people get, like, lifer pie sometimes. If you, like, see a lifer you've been looking for a lot, you yeah. go get pie. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> or, see, you know, see, do a lifer dance. See, here's that's the thing is, like, we haven't even touched into all of the craziness. I know. That goes with birding. <laughs> it's a whole world. It, it is. Yeah. It's a whole podcast And series. that is why Part we three started. Coming, no, just kidding. <laughs> and yes. that's why you need to start your own podcast yes. about okay. birding because there's yeah. enough that we don't know what to even ask about that you would be able to touch on. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah, and I think we kind of covered the bases on like if our listeners want to start into this, you know, yeah. we talked about the platforms and yeah. the gear and getting into it. 
Um, Joe is a great contact for anybody listening. We'll, we'll patch you over to him. Uh, stay tuned for his podcast dropping soon here. But my final question for you, and it's kind of similar to what Thomas asked, what's your one bird? Do you have one bird that it's like, I will see that bird before I die? I know we talked about the northern goshawk. Yeah, I was gonna say besides that one, because right now that's like your current quest because yeah. that's possible. That's like that's like yeah, my possible target bird. Because we talk about this like with hunting, and I'll kind yeah. of rant if you need to think about it a little bit. But like for for me, it's like I want to kill a caribou that's, up in Alaska a, with my bow. That's like, like that's, your that, life that's goal. like the thing. Yeah. Like, See, and I would yeah the caribou that we've talked about that hunt a lot. Like that would be the dream hunt is to get a caribou because you mm-hmm. just can't get that here. Yeah, with your bow. Those and, are cool and, animals. And too. another one is I want to get a bow or a, a bull elk with my trad bow, my traditional recurve bow. Like oh, that's another one. Mm. So like I we we I have these and I know Thomas does. It's like that's the one. Like that's the one. So like, do you have a one bird where it's like before I die, if I need to travel the world, I will see this bird. Yeah, there's well, it's more like a family of birds that are all really localized. Birds of Paradise in Papua New Guinea. Um, that's like the holy grail, man. Yeah. Um, Why? Like, what? What? What is it about them? Are they like super rare? Are they well, just in that area? Like, what is it? Yeah. So they're only found. On, well, most of them are only found on Papua New Guinea. There's some that are like in Australia and Indonesia and stuff. But Papua New Guinea is the place. Um, that it's like the the bird of paradise. You know, Mecca. There's a bunch of different species of them, but they they're just extremely specialized mating rituals so like mm, if you go this, if like planet earth i don't know if planet earth has it. yeah yeah like the, I've seen oh, that. the michael I've seen, jackson bird that. that does a little dance or yeah. like the ones that like have the weird hood that yeah with like the really really bright colors those are in those are in papua new guinea most of them and um that would be that's that is the pinnacle for you yeah and and they're like very inaccessible like you like you're basically walking through like six inches of mud up a mountain in like a hundred degree weather, 90% humidity yeah. getting eaten alive by insects. And then you see this like fluorescent glow in the dark dancing bird in the middle of the jungle. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the thing. <laughs> that's that's the, awesome. That's what everybody wants to do. But yeah, it's so hard to get there in the first place and then just get That's what makes it so the, fun. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's I mean, why it's a list. That's why it's a uh, to-do list. Yeah, I would have thought that it was like unattainable, but like I went to Australia a couple of years ago, and I thought that was unattainable. So I'm just like, all right, like I can do it. Like you can get there if you want. Yeah. And like that guy that wrote the book about like doing the world big year, he was like the whole trip, I planned it out pretty good, and it cost me about the same as like a brand new SUV. Hmm. He's like, so just like get a junker car, and have like the best bird watching trip ever <laughs> yeah awesome. you know what I mean? like just make the sacrifice and you can make a, an amazing trip happen you know it's it seems cheap after the experience has been made you know yeah. right i think that's a good note to end on thank you joe right there thank you guys, guys stay tuned for what are you gonna call your podcast the birder dad the birder dad when that gets launched and that is current that you said that's currently a handle on twitter yes it is a handle on twitter at twitter at Birder Dad. Um, so I haven't posted a whole ton on it lately. I'm kind of waiting for the podcast to get up and going. Just waiting on some music. and. Um, 
But yeah, I'm gonna have like guests. Pretty much every single episode will be a guest. My whole thing is gonna be like regular old birders, not like scientists or like mm-hmm. crazy not world yet. record listers. You'll, you'll bring on some world record. Maybe listers. yeah. You could no stir. You know, but the whole point is just to, to get people's birding stories, like their coolest yeah. birding story. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that talk about like news and the science, and like I don't know, like the American Birding Association does a podcast, and it, it's all about you know cutting edge stuff in the birding community, and and I just kind of want to get the regular old people and get them telling their stories. So, well, we've heard your stories. We thank you for them. Yeah. We're excited. This is cool. Yeah, this is awesome. Thanks, as always, guys, for listening. As as always, if this is something that's interesting you, hit us up. We'll get you in contact with Joe. We'll post about his podcast when that launches. And we appreciate you guys listening. If you have any other questions for us or um, something that you guys want to hear about in future episodes, let us know about that. We have some other guests lined up that we're really excited about. We appreciate it. We're all about building that confidence in the outdoors doesn't matter what that is whether it's hunting fishing birding today that's what we talked about we we really appreciate you guys listening so uh follow us you know share this episode share it with a friend who is uh interested in the birding community and as always stay safe out there guys and take it easy